So let's pick up in uh, Exodus 22, verse 16. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the rain. You've certainly uh, been blessing us with the rain, and we've needed it, and uh, we thank you for that. We thank you for all your blessings, Lord. Too many of them to enumerate here in one moment, but we thank you for salvation more than anything else. Thank you for eternal life, and thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your body and each other. And we just, we just give you praise that everything we need can be found in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the, pri- the bride price of virgins. So he could... Uh, he was responsible to make her his wife if he lay with her uh, and if the father refused to give her to him he still had to pay the money in God's perspective judgment is righteous when God And if you'll notice when you read through the Old Testament, especially when God talks about his righteousness, usually judgment is in that same discourse. In other words, things need to be set right. That's basically what we're reading here, right? God God is a holy, just God. And there needs to be restitution. And things need to be set right. Now... The problem we had is that after the fall, we weren't strong enough to keep all of God's law. So in the fullness of time, God sent his son to make restitution for us. Uh, That doesn't excuse us from doing things right when we have the opportunity and making things right. Uh, but some things, you know, you can't go back over your whole life of however long you lived a sinner or doing your own thing and make restitution for everything. That's the good news of the cross. Jesus made it for us. But if we have things, one of the parts of the story that people don't always hear, and I think I brought this up maybe last week, but is that uh, when Dave Ramsey got on his feet, he went back and paid off all the people he owed. You know. And our law set up to where you don't have to do that, and people can't always do that. But if you had the means and you earned that, he, done, he went above and beyond. I talked about the guy that was called Cinderella Man, I think, last week. So doing the right thing. God, God wants us to do the right thing, and where we don't have the strength and ability, he sent his son but what you need to see through all this is, is justice is a part of who God is. And things that we've seen in our lifetime and we wish wondered would have been set right, they will. They'll be set right. We can rest in that. Uh, he said, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. Somebody who practices witchcraft. Uh, and part of this, if you go to the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation, uh, they used, again, a word that we get the word pharmacy out of. 
So drugs are nothing new. It looks like Ahab smoked dope back <laughs> in his day, uh, best we can understand. Uh, so altering somebody's state of being is something God was against. So something, if we engage in something that alters our thinking, sorcerers, sorcerers promoted that. They promoted uh, fortune telling, uh, drug abuse, um, witchcraft, immorality. We read about Jezebel who had this same kind of spirit on her. And actually that spirit is actually called Jezebel in Revelation. So people who practice immorality, deception. Uh, remember in Acts 16, which I read a little bit from last night, the, the woman was following Paul and Silas around, basically doing it out of poking fun, saying, these are the men of God, these are the men of God. And finally Paul had enough of it, turned around and cast the demon out of her. When he cast the demon out of her, she could no longer tell fortunes. She was able to see in the spiritual realm because she had a demon in her. And so once she lost that demon, the people that owned her, who abused her and used her for gain, right? The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of it. They had Paul and Silas beat half to death, put in the Maritime dungeon. We talked about all that last night. So she, she had supernatural ability. Certainly not power over the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit just turned around through Paul and kicked the demon out. So we know who's in charge. But Paul had enough of it and just cast the demon out of her and it got him and Silas in trouble. But she had some ability in the supernatural realm because she had a demon in her. So demons operate supernaturally. They are angelic beings who have left their first estate. As Peter talks about, they've been kicked out of heaven. And now they're operating in evil. And so that's, these are the kind of things, this is why God did not allow them to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. Has sexual relationship with an animal, which is foreign to us. I know that's foreign to us, but people do that. That's promoted in the world today. Uh, who, who, he who sacrifices to any God except the Lord only, he shall surely, he shall be utterly destroyed. Now what changed in the New Testament is we can find a place of repentance if we fall into some of this stuff. Uh, you shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So again, you see how God challenged his people to treat their servants like family, like we talked about strangers. They were to treat them well. And actually Paul in Hebrew says, be careful about entertaining strangers. You might be entertaining an angel unaware. So uh, we're to be good to everybody. And if we trust in the Lord, we don't have to live in fear. All right? He says, uh, you shall neither mistreat a stranger or oppress him, because remember you were there as strangers. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry out at all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot 
and I will kindle you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. Wow. Now, James talks about what we're supposed to do, right? He says, pure religion and undefiled before the Lord is to do this, right? Take care of the widows and orphans. That should be a primary thing for a Christian. Um, and God's pretty sensitive about that, right? He makes that clear here. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like the moneylenders to him. You shall not charge him interest. Now, when we violate God's word, and this could be about this or anything. When we violate God's word, we shut off the blessing from God's perspective. You and I are never going to outgive God. This is never going to happen. So when we give to God or to others and do it the way he's asked us to do it, and we think, man, I can't just let them have that money at no interest, you know, whatever, uh, we're cutting off God's blessing us. You could be blessed by your own way and charge that interest against his will, or you could let him be your blesser. So I ask people from time to time, if God's asked you to do something that may seem out of the box, right? If God asks you to do something for somebody that's kind of out of your comfort zone or you're not really, you don't know them maybe as well as you would have liked, but he just asks you to do something. Or maybe you've already paid your tithe and God says, I'd like for you to give a little bit more money for whatever. You don't want to stop God's reward in that because here's, here's my question that I ask people regularly. Whatever God asks you to do, if it has to do with a deed or monetary or whatever, what price do you put on obedience that brings in a grandchild who's lost? See, God's rewards are way bigger than what we can do for ourselves. So if you obey God in an area and you reap the reward in some something that big, I mean, there's no comparison, right? So what if God asks you to give another 50 bucks above your tithe and you wake up two weeks from now and one of your grandchildren's born again? I mean, you see, God's so much bigger and better at this stuff than we are. that we, we, that, But that's a trust issue, right? God's asked me to do something, right? What do you think Peter was thinking that day in Luke chapter 5? When Jesus comes by and says, I need to use your boat. Well, Peter's all in for that, right? Let's him use his boat. Uh, then after Jesus gets done teaching, he says, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought of fish. Well, the Bible says that Peter had been out there all night and hadn't caught anything. Now, you know what's going on in Peter's mind at that point? Listen, it's useless to go out there and fish. Are you feeling me? You're feeling what I'm getting ready to say. And it's the Holy Spirit. And, and so his mind was probably working against him at that point. I've been out there all night. I'm tired. I'd like to go home and just go to bed and sleep. I've already let you borrow my boat. We're good, right? And Jesus says, launch out in the deep. Well, Peter's probably thinking, I know how to fish. I've been doing this all my life. I'm a professional fisherman. There's no fish out there. I'll come back later. <laughs> but his reward was waiting out there. He didn't say, Jesus... I'll let you borrow my boat, but would you make the payment on it this month if I let you borrow it? <laughs> he just said, you can use it. What was his reward? 
his reward was, Jesus said, go back out and fish now. And Peter said, there's no fish out there. But listen how his faith kicked in. He said, nevertheless, at your word, I'm going back. See, his natural man was probably battling, right? But he said, that's your word, I'm going back. And he goes out there, lets the net down. The boat gets so many fish in it, it starts sinking. He had never caught anything like that in his life, I'll guarantee it. But that was his reward for letting the Lord use his stuff. Now, the next time you tell the Lord, I'm not letting you use that, God. My great-grandmother gave me that. You might want to think again. Because the reward God's got for you is bigger than anything your great-grandma can give you. And I got some bad news for you. You ain't taking that thing with you when you leave no how. So let's not get too attached to stuff down here, right? All right, so think about that. Think about what kind of reward God can give versus what you may could work out on your own. And just go ahead and obey Him and see what happens. Because we all know this. We will never outdo God in anything. He will always come out on top when it comes to blessing us. So he says, uh, if you lend money to him, my people don't charge them interest if they're poor among you. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. Everybody's thinking, what things have you borrowed over your life? And you're thinking about it right now, right? Oh, I never got that back to them. Uh, He says, "For uh, for that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will, what will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. That's a challenge, isn't it? You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices. Bring the tithe to the Lord. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Likewise, you shall do with your oxen and your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. Now there's a lot. God wants us, wants us to put Him first. You'll never, you'll do better by giving God everything first than you would if you tried to keep it and hoard it out of His way. Uh, but there's more to that, right? It keeps us from being stingy. It keeps us from being full of eros and making life about us, putting God first, and then we know the value and the benefits of that all throughout our life. And you shall be holy to holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beast in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. Now he's separating them from fleshly people. That's the desire here, right? He's trying to separate them from making their decisions based on just the flesh. He wants them to base their decisions on His law, His word to them, which would be moral, right? You shall not uh, circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Right? I mean, you can't show that either way. 
if you grow up, depending on what kind of culture you go up, grow up in, you could have a bias toward poor people or toward rich people. We always hear about rich people who maybe turn their nose up at poor people, but there are poor people who turn their nose up at rich people. And so, I mean, that could go either way. He talks about that. <clears throat> he says, um, if you meet your enemy's ox and his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, you should and you refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. So, when we go to the New Testament, you see where Jesus brings us into the New Testament with greater revelation because he unfolds this stuff for us. He said, we've got to love our enemies. And we've got to pray for people who mistreat us. I, you know, over the years, we all have opportunities to have enemies. You're going to do something somebody don't agree with or... Uh, Maybe for whatever, right? And you have opportunities. Maybe you're going to make a mistake. Maybe you're going to do something wrong. Maybe they're going to do something wrong. Whatever. And you have this opportunity to make enemies. But the greatest thing about Christianity is restitution. And that's a lot of what's been talked about right here. The, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Not just get by, right? But there, there's a lot to that. He talks about... Not just the physical side, certainly that's secondary to the spiritual life that he brings to us. But reconciliation. I had an experience with a guy <clears throat> probably, I'm going to say, eight years ago. Uh, a guy whom I don't, I don't ha we don't run in the same circles with the church or anything like that, never have, probably never will. I was concerned about his spiritual life. Good guy, but I was still concerned about his spiritual life because we never, uh, seemed like we never could get very far with that in conversations. We had conversations more about other stuff, right? And uh, it's a good relationship, and it, it's been there for years. Um, but man, we got crossways one day. I mean, it was bad. And I, I mean, I didn't curse or nothing like that, but I, I stood my ground and they stood their ground and it was over an issue that was probably more sensitive to me than it was them. But it, it, it wound up bad, really bad. And uh, I tried to go see them, wrote them a letter. Because as a Christian, I always feel like that's more on me than them. You know, even if I'm in the right, I think being a peacemaker is what we're called to be, right? If you, if you, if you, uh, not a peacekeeper, a peacemaker. So the peacekeeper is a little different than a peacemaker. A peacemaker goes into bad stuff and tries to bring good out of it, right? Timing's important. You know, I've told you all the story about leaving worship here a few years ago and calling a guy because I realized I was crossways with him and, um, and I, being in politics and preaching, it's easy, you get more chances to get crossways with people than, than the average person. 
ball coaches, politicians, and preachers have more chances to get crossways with people. But sometimes it don't always work out immediately. But over time, I, you know, I've seen God restore a lot of stuff, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. This particular situation, no response to none of that. This probably went on for about three or four years. I couldn't, and I was trying to actively pursue peace. But then you, you can just tell when the Holy Spirit shows up. It's different, right? You can try stuff in your own strength, and you may mean well, but when the Holy Spirit gets involved, it's just different. So I'll never forget this. About four years ago, three or four years ago, I was writing out some Christmas cards. And the Holy Spirit said, I knew it was the Holy Spirit. Send him a Christmas card. And I did. And he responded. And now, the whole relationship's different. You know, forgiving people, once you've been in a... It's just a beautiful thing. And it's like it opens a different dimension up. Because I think you... you that tension is just, I mean, it's just beautiful. And so now it's a whole different kind of relationship. We talk about spiritual things. And you could have knocked me over with a feather a few weeks ago when we were together. He said, can I pray over you and your family? Never saw that side of them before in my life. So, Here's what I say to you. You that are mature, what did Paul say? Consider yourself, restore that brother or that sister. You show how mature you are. Don't show us how mature you are by how much knowledge you and I think we have out of this book. Show how mature you are by going in there and making peace. And I, you know what? I've got other people that I've got on my radar that I'm going to do that with. And that I've tried to do. I, I don't give up. That's one thing. I, I'm I am not a quitter. <laughs> and I just I believe God is bigger than every situation we face. Every one of them. And it's not his will that any would perish, and it's his will for us to love one another. And he said, That's how they're gonna know you're my disciples, by how you love each other. Not how good your church services are, not how much of this and that you do, but how you love one another. He said, that's how you're going to know, they're going to know you're my disciples. And we, the beauty of God restoring something, it's that, oh, because you, when you walk away from something that, you get, you get reminded of just how beautiful and big it was for Jesus to restore you and me to the Father. We deserve to die. All our righteousness was like filthy rags. There's none good, no, not one. But Jesus said, I'll go. I'll take all their sin on me. And I'll reconcile those who will believe. I'll reconcile them back to you, Father, if they'll trust in me. So everything you see here is about restitution. It's about God's justice. It's about doing the right thing. Um, he says not to pervert justice, you know, and we see all that going on in our world. It's just bad. Not to take bribes, uh, for uh, bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. 
Bribes do. You know, Paul said in one place in the New Testament, he said, I'm going to send Timothy over there to you guys to share God with you because the rest of the guys I could send all seek their own. They, let me show you this, right? On this here. They are full of eros. <laughs> Love with the motive, right? Love with the hook. I can't send the guys. Timothy's got agape. He's going to come love you for your sakes. The other guys are going to come love you to get an offering out of you. All right? I mean, so Paul even had issues. He, he had people that, you know, so bribes, they blind justice. You know, if somebody can be bribed. He, isn't it amazing how specific the word is and how real it is and how it just unfolds the culture right in front of our eyes. I mean, God knows everything. Can you? Here's what we can't fathom. Because we, we see justice done right some in our cultures, in our world. Sometimes it's not done right. But we can't, and I don't think politicians, preachers, Christians, sinners, I don't think any of us can fully grasp what it would be like to stand in front of someone that knows everything about everything. We can't, that's heavy, isn't it? To think about, I'm going to stand before God. And the only way you and I could survive standing in front of Him that way is to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We'd never make it if we were trying to get it, do it on our own. And so to fathom what it's like to stand in front of, and what did Jesus say? Or what did God say? When he was dealing with Abraham and Sarah, he said, how come Sarah laughed? And she said, I didn't laugh. And God said, oh, yes, you did. <laughs> I know you did. See, there ain't no getting by with nothing, right, with God. And that's why we don't have to fret about the world thinking, man, how, how unjust is that? How bad is that? How come? That's crazy. They do. And I say those things to myself. They're crazy. <laughs> What do you mean you don't know which bathroom to use? <laughs> That's crazy, right? You, you think about all the injustices and everything, but the Lord's got it all under control. He'll take care of everything. <clears throat> so he tells us not to oppress the stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. That's the second time he said that, isn't it? Don't oppress them. Six years you shall sow your land and gather it in its produce. And seventh year you shall rest and fallow, and the poor of your people may eat, that they leave, and the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days. So, you remember Ruth? She came back with Naomi. Orpah went back. There's a message in that, right? Are you going to go on with God, or are you going to go back to where you come from? Naomi said, I'm going to go with you. Or Ruth said, I'm going to go with you, Naomi. I'm going, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Orpah said, nah, I'm going back. <laughs> uh, but Ruth got over there and uh, Boaz told the guy, said, because she's f without a husband now. She's also without Naomi's husband. I mean, they lost. And Boaz said, leave some extra. They were already supposed to leave the corners for the poor, right? And he said, drop some in the field. That way she don't have to really go cut it down. She can just pick it up. So they were. this was something God's people were to do. They were to take care of the poor that way. They were to reach a hand out to them. Now, the church has lost its way with that. 
Now I'm going to tell you something's going to make you sick. I read an article just a few days ago. The, one of the main churches in England, in Europe, this is crazy to me within itself, but they have 13, over $13 billion in investments. And I thought, I'm going to look at a church that's that rich and see what they do. You know, if they're turning it over and God keeps bringing it in, that's one thing, but $13 billion laid up. I started researching and doing a little research just because I was curious of how far the church had gotten off track. You know what their main, one of their main things was on their website? For everybody that wants to go to church there to figure out what their carbon footprint is. Nothing about Jesus. Nothing about feeding the poor. Nothing about nothing like that. And they've, the reason this article was written because they took all their investments and it was politically motivated, I guess, and put them in certain investments. And I, I wanted, to, they didn't want any of their investments to be in oil, I think was their big issue, right? That's fine. But I, I, if I could talk to their people, I'd say, are you investing in any funds that support pornography? Have you checked that out? Are you investing in any funds that support uh, child drugs and child trafficking and all that? Do you even care about that? But that's how far away the church has lost its way. Our church, you know, we came from that. We came from Europe. We came from England. And you can see how far... It takes sometimes stuff like that to sober us up and realize just how far away our world is from God. Horrible. It's horrible how far away we've gotten from God. Six days you shall do work, on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and that your son and your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. So <clears throat> there's, if you, I'm sure a lot of you all have seen this because there's been a lot of research on the importance of sleep and rest. You know, Jesus in the New Testament, they were fussing at him because they were actually picking food on the Sabbath. And he cleared all that up for us, right? When he said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the man. In other words, it was God's design for us to take some time and rest. And re you know, They say if you don't get the proper sleep, your mind is like your body. It takes in toxic stuff and it dumps that stuff out if it gets enough sleep and cleans its... Your mind does the same things that your intestines try to do. It tries to clean itself up and wipe its, clean its chalkboard off, basically. And, you know, there was a, it's one thing to erase stuff. It's another thing, and I grew up in an era where the teachers all used chalk still, but some of you, some of you grew up when they still did the feather name, didn't you? <laughs> but they, they, uh, they used the chalk, but there was uh, like once a day, Somebody would come in with the soap and water and actually wash the chalkboard, right? Because you can't just erase forever and ever. You've got to clean the chalkboard. And that, I was reading something to talk about how your mind kind of works the way that your body does. It takes the nutrients and then 
we expel the waste, right? And your mind tries to do that same process if it gets enough sleep or rest. So there's some practical side to what God's telling us, right? There's practical side about forgiving people. It's good for your health. Unforgiveness is bad for your health. You know, there's a lot of studies. We're finding out now, we're just backing a lot of stuff up that God told us that we could have taken by faith. And I don't got a problem with people studying things, but we're just backing up what God's told us all along, right? Fretting only causes harm. Now they have studies to tell us that, right? That worry really does damage to us. And God told us that in Psalm 37. Fretting only causes harm. So he, a lot of practical stuff here, a lot of good stuff. Uh, he said, In all that I've said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. It's interesting, isn't it? Three times, three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in, it you, uh, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. The feast of the harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have shown, sown in the field, and the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year, uh, when you have gathered the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times in all year, all your males shall appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with unleavened bread, uh, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not bull a young goat in its mother's milk. Now they're giving us pretty pretty clear instruction here for these people to live by. But in the New Testament, there's no way to know everything. There's no way to know every situation. That's why the Holy Spirit's been given to us. You may go into a situation that you don't have all the knowledge about, but the Holy Spirit can alert you and you feel it, right? Uh, this is one of the examples I used. Jesse, the big, probably the biggest drug dealer at one time in our area in the mountains, got saved. And you all have heard me talk about him from time to time. He, uh, the son, he came to church to pacify somebody. He got saved that morning, gave his heart to Christ, said he's pockets was full of drugs uh, when he showed up he said it's kind of funny he said he told me this next day or two he said I walked out in the parking lot after I give my heart to the Lord and he said he said I told my wife said I'm unemployed <laughs> I just lost my job because I'm gonna have to get a real job now and he's been serving the Lord ever since been like 25 26 years but he came to uh, prayer and study one morning and he said uh, he said I was coming downstairs from my house and when he was in drugs because this is the connection we just saw this connection here we read about sorcerers he was he was a drug dealer and sorcery was in uh, enticing to him he said I had collected all these figurines of sorcerers and stuff he said I hadn't got that far in the Bible yet in the Exodus he said but when I walked downstairs he said I hadn't been saved very long he said, when I walked downstairs, I looked on the mantle of that fireplace, and he said, my spirit started pushing back against all those wizard figurines I had. He said, I, my spirit. And he'd come in that, that very morning, was sharing all that with us, and, and we was able to help him say, that's the Holy Spirit. He's, he's letting you know that's not good. That kind of stuff's not good. And he said, even though you didn't know 
you hadn't read that part of the Bible at this point because he was young in the Lord. I said, that's how the Holy Spirit works, right? You can walk into a place or situation and the Holy Spirit gives you discernment, right, about something. He reveal, He starts revealing things to you. You may not know, right? But the Holy Spirit knows, right? Because he's already been around the corner before you and I get there. So that's the beauty of the New Testament dispensation. We have... We may not know all the things that we need to know in every situation, but the Holy Spirit knows them. And that's why we need to lean on the Holy Spirit. Uh, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and bring you in the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the the Hittites and the Perizzites, the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. Some of you probably heard me say this, but until about 15 years ago, probably 15, I lose track of time sometimes, but it's been a while, I would have told you that the last straw before a nation gets judged is sexual immorality. But when I thoroughly studied Isaiah again, about 15, 17 years ago, I realized that wasn't the last straw. The last straw is idolatry. People go into sexual immorality, and we're in that stage right now. And we're starting to see in, the country, in our country, we're starting to see the, the, around the edges, idolatry starting to get popular in this country. Worshiping a false god, having your own god. How many of you have heard this said lately? You can have your own truth. <laughs> you live out your... There's no such thing as that. There is no private interpretation, Peter said. There's one truth. His name is Jesus. He's the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. You don't have your private truth. I'm living out my truth. You hear that a lot in the world out there. But the last straw is idolatry, because here's what. When you get into immorality with sorcery, pharmacia, drug addiction, sexual immorality, when you get so stooped in that, your conscience... Until it stops working. And James talks about people's conscience getting seared with a hot iron, which means it don't work properly anymore. But when you get involved into that kind of stuff, when a 40-year-old man would lie with a 6-year-old girl, your, 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 your conscience has... You're, you're having a great conflict until you get a seared conscience or get turned over to a reprobate. And that, that happens to people. So what happens, people, once they get stooped into those kind of immorality, they have to go find a God that's okay with it. Or it'll drive them insane. Right? There's no way a 40-year-old man can continually abuse little children and babies without either his conscience getting seared and becoming a reprobate or him finding some kind of way to justify it at a false god's altar. 
So what happens to people once they get so immoral and they feel the weight of that until they are turned over to a reprobate? Think about this. I brought this up last night. or actually the scripture brought it up. Because the scripture compared what the angels, fallen angels had done with the same thing that Sodom and Gomorrah had done. You think about. Now this whole situation is hard for us to grasp. I understand that. You think about these angels showing up in Sodom and Lot offering those perverts outside the door his own daughters and them turning them down because they wanted to lay with the angels. That's, that's some pretty strong perversion right there. We just read about what, what we call in our culture bestiality, people who would lie with an animal. So what happens when people get stooped in evil that far? They have to, and that's what happened in Thyatira, right? Jezebel changed the whole dynamic of following the Lord because sexual immorality was promoted. And if you go back and study the Corinthian culture, a lot of those false gods, that's how they attracted their converts is with sexual immorality and dope smoking. So what happens to a culture before they're judged by God is they go off into this fleshly stuff and then because their conscience is getting so twisted and they find them a God with a little g to justify it all. And that's when the straw. You think about, it's a slap, it's, it's a slap in God's face to look at an idol and say, I thank you for feeding me and taking care of me. That's a slap in God's face. To take the tree that God made and then make a false god out of it. And God's the one who made the tree. And that's why Isaiah kept saying, what's wrong with you people? You take this tree and make an idol out of it, then you take what's left over the tree and burn it in the fire. He said, somebody needs to wake up because the very substance your God is made out of, you have the power to destroy it. He said, if he would have been living in our day, he would have said, here's your sign. <laughs> so he said, I'm going to send this angel before you and you're going to serve the Lord, he says, and he'll be, he'll be for us, basically. Uh, he, he said, I want you to go destroy them. I don't want you to have anything to do with their false gods and their uh, altars and their pillars. In verse 25, he says, So you shall serve the Lord your God. He will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you, and no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among the people to whom you come and will make your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets before you and shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. I will drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. I will set your bounds from the sea, Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, and from the desert to the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land in your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest, you make, lest they make you sin against me. 
For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. So he's warning them about idolatry. In the New Testament, Paul said, evil communications corrupt good manners, right? In Corinthians. In other words, you hang out with that stuff, it'll eventually rub off on you. So God's giving them a clear understanding. A healthy Christian life and a healthy church is one that grows and gets pruned. Grows and we've entered into a pruning season here in this church. We grew a lot. We've seen a lot of people saved and baptized. And it, it don't bother me. I've been doing this too long now. We watch God come in prune. Then we grow again. You can't, that's how he did his feet. He said, I'm going to take them out little by little and let you grow. And as you grow, you'll advance and you'll take up more territory. So God has to do stuff in us. And if we allow him to do stuff in us, that opens up the territory for us so that we can grow individually and as a church and everything. But God is a wonderful pruner. You know, that I had to learn that lesson from my grandparents. You know, I, it bothered me that my grandmother would pop the blooms off the strawberries, that they would cut those apple trees back and not let them bear as much. <laughs> you know, but, I, but over time, not only did they teach me, but I saw how that process worked. Walking in their orchards and their blackberries and their strawberries and everything else because they pretty much grew everything they ate. So you, you watch that process unfold uh, and that's how God works in our life. He talks about that, right? As a vine dresser. That's how he works. So don't get discouraged. God's just going to make you and I more fruitful. And he's wonderful. He's a wonderful vine dresser. Amen. Can we pray together before we leave? Let's pray to the Lord what the Lord taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth just as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.